everyone and welcome to episode 72 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo and this is a podcast about communication skills. So lately we've been talking about some foundational skills for uh, any sort of set of circumstances and today I want to take a little bit of a different take on that. Um, today we're going to talk about the four essential communication tasks for anyone in a managerial or supervisory position. So I take it that most people in the modern world uh, work in large organizations. It's much more rare these days that you would lurk alone or by yourself or have a kind of family business with just a couple of employees. A lot of us have to work in large, complicated, bureaucratic organizations. And uh, so I work in such an organization. And inevitably in those organizations, in order to make them function correctly, uh, or in order to make them function at all, people take on leadership positions as supervisors or as managers. And that means that a group of people report to that person. And then that person is usually a member of a group of people that report to someone else that's, that's higher up. So bureaucratic organizations sort of work like this with people in managerial positions over other people. Um, that's because the tasks that the, these organizations have to accomplish are really complicated and require lots of different kind of sort of moving pieces. So even if you work for a cell phone company, you need a sales team, you need um, a design team, um, you need a, probably need a, a financial team. So you need a bunch of different teams of people that can work on different tasks. And then inside those teams, different people have managerial roles and then the managers sort of report to someone higher up that coordinates the whole thing. So I'm not talking today about the CEO of a company necessarily, although the CEO would also have these four communication tasks, whether he or she wants them or not. I'm talking about anybody in a position of management or, or supervision. Uh, so I just want to use myself as an example. And I think this is one of the things that actually makes the university somewhat similar to other kinds of bureaucratic organizations. But so I work at the University of Waterloo. I'm a member of the Department of Communication Arts we have about uh, 30 faculty and staff. Uh, that means that, so I'm also happen to be the chair of the department. That means that those 30 people technically report to me and that I have a managerial or supervisory role over them. Well, there's also, I also work, the Department of Communication Arts is in the Faculty of Arts and the Faculty of Arts has a dean and all of the chairs of the very, there's 17 departments, all of the chairs report to the dean. Um, so I have another, so I'm the supervisor and manager of my, uh, 28, 29 people in my department, but then I also report to the Dean. So I'm caught in between a kind of, uh, superior person in a, in a management or supervisory position and several people underneath me as that I manage or supervise. And then the Dean, of course, the Dean, there are six deans at the university of Waterloo. The deans all report to the provost or vice president academic of the university. Um, and so on. So you can, the dean isn't even the last word uh, in, in the larger bureaucratic structure. Uh, this is no different than um, an organization where like some person manages a sales team, the sales team has 15 people on it, but the manager of the sales team reports to 
um, product specialist or the management of products or so something like that. And the manager of products has the manager of the sales team and the manager of the repair team or the, the manager of the customer service team, et cetera, all report to that, that person. So these kinds of bureaucratic structures are, are fairly, fairly typical. So it doesn't matter where you fall in the chain. If you're uh, the chair of a department like me, the dean of faculty or the, the vice provost, or the provost and vice president academic of the university, if you're the leader or the manager of the sales team, or if you're the CEO of the company, the four communication tasks we're going to talk about today apply to anyone in any of those roles, as long as that that person is serving in a supervisory or managerial position. Um, okay, so let's talk about those four communication tasks. And I think these four communication tasks are um, not tied to a specific medium of communication. So we do these tasks in writing, in email, in text messages, in interpersonal conversations, in meetings, in small group conversations, in speeches that we deliver. Um, so we do them in all media of communication. They're sort of not media dependent. And we can understand, I think if we understand our communication practices in terms of these four, uh, these four tasks, and as long as we think that, or as long as we're there, we're trying to, 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 work at each of these four tasks in, in and across different media, then we're going to be doing a good job in our, in our management position. Okay, so task number one uh, for anyone in a management position is to build. And so it, and to build is not, I don't mean like literally laying bricks or, or nailing together two by fours or constructing framing for a house. Uh, the communication task of building is the task of articulating and strategically enacting a vision. So you have to build a kind of future through your communicative action. And that requires the person in the managerial position to identify a place off in the distance and figure out how to give the people that he or she works with a vision for what that thing off in the future looks like. If there's no vision, if you have not built or articulated a vision for the group of people you work with, then they will not know where they're going. So one of your principal communication tasks is always to build by articulating and strategically enacting a vision. Uh, usually that vision has to be supported by values. So really good people who are really good in managerial positions articulate their vision, enact their vision, and then support their vision with some values. So in my own case, if I'm just talking about my specific example, um, I'm trying to get our department to think more about um, more as a kind of coherent one whole with varying parts instead of different units. So I'm trying to, to strategically articulate an inactive vision where for three or four years from now, we stop thinking of ourselves as different units. I have faculty from theater and performance in my department. I have faculty from communication studies. I have faculty from digital media arts. So instead of each of those faculty members thinking of themselves as belonging to a unique and discrete unit, I want them to think of themselves as part of a whole department with a coherent uh, sort of logic to it. So I have to articulate that vision to people. I have to say, like, this is where I want to get to in the next couple of years. And then I have to strategically enact it. But I also have to tell people why I want to do that, uh, what the advantages of or what the values behind doing that kind of work are. So, but this goes for anybody, you know, if I'm uh, a sales manager, I need to articulate my vision for the, my sales team and then enact that vision and then make sure that that vision is supported by values that I'm transparent and that I'm clear about. 
Okay, communication task number one then is to build. And you do that building work by articulating in multiple ways and strategically enacting in multiple ways a vision of the future supported by transparent values. Um, this means you have to say it over and over again in meetings. You have, to, you have to tell people what your vision is over and over again in meetings. You have to tell them what, their vi what your vision is in interpersonal conversations. You have to write it out in emails and in memos and in text messages that this is where we're going. Uh, and then you have to think strategically about your communication messages or your communication interactions uh, about when you're involved in those communication messages or interactions, you need to think about the ways in which they are articulating or you are articulating and enacting that, that vision. Second, uh, a good manager, a good supervisor responds effectively to crises, emergencies, or problems. And I would say they do that with a combination of prudence and strategic thinking. So in any organization, so, oh, okay, let me back up for one second. Um, a crisis, an emergency, or a problem is not for the manager or supervisor to decide. So in my role as chair, I don't get to determine necessarily what a crisis or an emergency or a problem is. Some people that I work with will perceive a problem as a crisis or an emergency that needs to be dealt with immediately. And I could think to myself, oh, God, that's not that big a deal. I don't really care very much about that. It's not an emergency. It'll solve itself eventually. But that's not my role. My role as a manager or a supervisor is not to decide for others what a crisis or emergency or problem is, but to respond effectively when others uh, either bring me crises, emergencies, or problems, or you know, from anywhere up or down the chain. So the crisis or emergency or problem might come from my supervisor to me, or it might come from the people who report to me. Uh, in, in either direction, I'm responsive, in other words. And here, responsive is the keyword, and that's the communication task, to be responsive to the emergence of these, these crises or emergencies or problems, and not to be judgmental or evaluative about whether they should be crises, emergencies, or problems. Um, so... When we do that work, though, we have to do it with prudence, that is how and strategic thinking. So how can I respond to this crisis so that um, it, my response stays true to my vision, the, the thing that I'm trying to build, and so that it effectively, um, that I effectively absorb some of the tension and anxiety around the crisis, the emergency, or the problem. Um, how might I move past it in a constructive way? And that's a question about strategic thinking. But, and then again, I'm doing that in all media. You know, I'm doing it in writing, I'm doing it in meetings, I'm doing it in interpersonal interactions. I'm figuring out how to effectively respond to crises, emergencies, or problems. Okay, third communication task. This one's a bit more nebulous and somewhat and, and context dependent, but a person in a managerial or supervisory role has to repair, maintain, sustain, and improve processes of decision-making and other structures or modes of work. Uh, so whenever you work inside a large-scale organization, there are going to be processes in place for decision-making and for work to get done, period. That's, one of the, that's the nature of bureaucracy is to produce uh, guidelines and processes for work between and among lots of different people. Whenever you're in a managerial position, though, you'll you'll realize that 
people don't always like those processes of decision making. Um, some think the processes stink. Some want to break them. Um, some think they need to be changed. Uh, other times people experience them as a threat or like a bad thing. So you have to do communicative labor to either repair if there's a, a structure or decision-making process that's broken, to maintain or sustain some that are, that are working, and then to improve those that aren't. So uh, let's say that, um, in, in my case, let's say there's a process in place for curricular decisions, and some people don't like that process. So I have to make a small change to repair the process. And then I have to take the initiative in maintaining and sustaining that process, making sure we're all following it, in other words. So that maintain and sustain part of the manager's job is to communicate to others about the importance of following those processes or procedures and why it matters that you might follow those processes or procedures. Um, and then I can try to improve it. So like, can I change it in some way to accommodate for some issues that have arisen around that process? Um, so am I repairing and improving and maintaining and sustaining at the same time these processes of decision-making? Uh, I think about this mostly through meetings. Uh, so meetings ought to have a process to them. So if a major decision needs to be made and it has to be binding on the group, uh, there's a way of making a motion and getting a seconder for a motion and then voting on a motion and having abstentions and objections to the, the motion, etc. So I have to, in a managerial position, I have to maintain and sustain and draw attention to those processes, making sure they're active, making sure that they get repaired when they need to or improved when they need to, so that everyone feels a sense of inclusion in the kind of collegial professional process of governance and decision-making. So the manager's job is to not exclude people who are reporting to him or her, but to include them in these processes. It might be the case that someone thinks the process stinks because a decision that a group made is no good. Um, that's okay, that happens all the time. Um, a manager's job is to make sure that that person understands that we follow the process though. It was maintained and sustained. So even though that person may disagree, we still had the process holding us together. And I think this is a hugely important communication task for anyone in a supervisory or managerial role uh, because without those processes, things will really fall apart quickly in large organizations that require collaboration and coordination between different people. So that's task three, repair, maintain, sustain, and improve processes of decision-making and other structures or modes of work for people. Um, so we often work through these structures when we're in these large-scale organizations. So working through them with an eye toward how those structures might be maintained or improved or repaired is, is essential. Um, okay, so the fourth communication task um, is the simplest probably, and we've done a lot of work in this podcast describing some of the necessary practices that support this task. But um, the, fourth, uh, the fourth task is to build positive interpersonal, build and maintain positive interpersonal relationships. So you have to have a sense of interpersonal commitment. At the very least, you have to have some weak ties and some strong ties with the people that you work with. If there's no tie, um, so a weak tie is kind of like a, a loose social connection where you know one another, you kind of have a good sense of each other, you have a positive working relationship. A strong tie is when there's kind of deeper connection, um, there's a personal affection between two people, etc. There's a willingness to 
to engage in loyal and committed activities for that other person because you feel that sense of that sense of strong tie. Um, but if you're in a managerial position, you have to build and maintain at, uh, in, in interpersonal relationships that have a degree of uh, connection or a tie to them. Otherwise, you won't know what's going on. Um, you'll be blind to certain issues in the workplace. Uh, people will not feel committed or invested in the projects in your vision and your, your responses to crises, emergencies. They won't feel uh, committed to your ability, your, your, your attempts to repair, maintain, sustain, and improve uh, decision-making processes. So there has to be this underlying social connectedness and the person in the managerial or, or supervisory position has an obligation or a responsibility to foster those weak ties and strong ties, to foster that sense of social connectedness among the people that work with him or her. Um, without that sense of social connectedness, the earlier three communication tasks become infinitely more difficult and infinitely harder or more complex to accomplish. So that fourth task is usually accomplished through interpersonal means, but those interpersonal means of accomplishing that task can manifest themselves in lots and lots of different ways. So through text messaging, through uh, email, through public uh, comments. So I try really hard to remind myself in meetings to publicly uh, commend or show appreciation for someone that's inside a decision-making process and has done a really good job because that helps build or maintain the interpersonal affective connection between me and the person that did a good job. I'm also, um, I'm also always trying to write email that, that is not kind of like busy to do work, but an email that says something like, hey, you did a really great job in this meeting the other day or with this particular task, I really appreciate it. Um, those emails are attempts to maintain a kind of warm and functional collaborative interpersonal connection between me and the people that, that I work with. Um, so it's interpersonal skills, but manifested in any one of a number of different media. Um, the communication, the communicative act of repairing and maintaining and building interpersonal relationships can happen anywhere. So we're not talking about like an intimate relationship that requires this sort of face-to-face -face intimacy. I'm, I'm talking about a different kind of interpersonal building and maintaining of relationships. Uh, those earlier three, um, you know, repairing, maintaining, sustaining, and improving processes of collegial governance or structures or modes of decision-making, uh, that requires a, a, a sense of how deliberation works, a sense of what structures work and which don't. Uh, it requires you to listen to others and their complaints or their positions or their worries about what's happening in the in the workplace it requires you to think creatively about how you might change a process to improve it um, so it, it's less a matter of a specific communicative utterance and more a matter of reading and responding to the communicative ecosystem uh, what i call in my own research the rhetorical structure of the environment that you're in, inhabiting and how to make alterations to that structure to improve it uh, that goes so, anyway, that, that's a different kind of task than the interpersonal task. Responding to effectively to crises, emergencies, and problems, uh, that usually requires a kind of ethos or character. Um, it requires, uh, it often requires uh, tact and civility, etc. cetera. Um, 
So there's a whole bunch of communicative uh, values that are implicated in that responsiveness. And then building by articulating and strategically enacting a vision, um, that requires uh, that requires you to um, proactively state what you care about and why you care about that and how you intend to move a, um, move a group in that direction. Uh, the building part is the part that's most kind of related to public speaking or public um, declamation about your interests and, and your commitments. So I'm saying all this because each of those four communication tasks require a really varied and different set of communication skills. It's not just one thing that you do. So they, they happen over a, a variety of different media, but they also engage a variety of different communication skills in their, in their doing. Um, okay, so if you're a manager or a supervisor, then you should be engaged in those four communication tasks, building by articulating and strategically enacting a vision, repairing, uh, responding to effectively to crises, emergencies, or problems, repairing, maintaining, sustaining, and improving processes of decision-making, and building and maintaining uh, strong interpersonal relationships. So um, that's it for this episode. I'll be back in a week or so with, I think, uh, another set of foundational communication practices that apply regardless of medium. Thanks, everyone, for listening.